0: While the rest of us uh, have a bit of a, a Bible reading from First, uh, oh, sorry, from Second Corinthians this morning. Uh, our passage this morning uh, comes from uh, the second letter to the Corinthians. There's actually probably, if you know the context of this passage, it's probably Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. Did you know that not just one and two Corinthians? There's another three and a four, and and they've actually been lost. We don't we don't have them. So this is actually probably in reality, uh, 4 Corinthians, the context of this passage this morning that I want to share with you is that Paul, uh, the great missionary, has already been out and has planted the church in Corinth. It's a city in, in, in Greece. So he's already planted the church. He would go out and he would, he would set up in the marketplace or perhaps with some, some Jewish believers if they were there and he'd gather them together and just start telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he would plant a church. So he's planted a church here in in Corinth. But things aren't going terribly well. The context here is that Paul is writing to them uh, again to tell him to hold fast. And because things have started to go a bit pear-shaped in Corinth, there are people sort of coming up and saying, oh, this poor fellow, don't believe what he says. And they're trying to, to drag the Corinthian church away from the truth, away from the gospel that he has preached to them. They're beginning to wonder, well, is this fellow, Paul, really trustworthy, really dependable? And the problem that Paul now faces, as you'll see in our reading this morning, is that he wasn't able to visit them like he had hoped to do. So he'd hoped to visit the Corinthian church on another one of his journeys. He's riding from Macedonia. If you know your geography, sort of, sort of up above Greece, and he's, he's trying, planning to head on a journey and visit the Corinthian church on his way out and on his way back. The divisions and the strife meant that he had to change his plans. So the Corinthians are wondering, this Paul fella is he saying yes, yes out of one side of his mouth, and no, no out the other side of his mouth. And some of his his those that would criticize Paul, some would come and so division, were saying you can't really trust what Paul is saying. And so they're beginning to wonder: well, given that Paul isn't maybe as reliable as we thought he was, he said he was going to come and visit, but where is he? So maybe the message that he preached to us isn't reliable either. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church and straight off the bat in in chapter 1 in 2 Corinthians, in in chapter 1 he says this. He says, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, to come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or or, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not a yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us. He has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Loving Lord, capture our minds and capture our hearts. In this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, whether it be in in business or in work or in the church or just in in life in general, it does seem, doesn't it, that, that there are people who we can't really rely on. There are people who make promises that they either can't or won't follow through on. They don't have to be dodgy used car salesmen. They can be otherwise trustworthy, dependable people like you and me, who for some reason just end up letting those around us down. They say one thing, but they do another. It can be incredibly frustrating. It can be incredibly deflating, I find, when people say one thing and do another. We've seen it uh, all the way through our lives, I think, with Kids' sporting teams, when they, they sign a kid up to play in your kid's team, and then halfway through the season, they just stop turning up and leave the rest of the team in the lurch. Many of us will have experienced this in in the workplace, when work colleagues fail to follow through, fail to deliver on the promises they've made. And, of course, we, we see it in the church as well, when people commit to a certain ministry but but don't show up. It can be incredibly Frustrating it can be incredibly deflating. It can sort of take the wind out of our sails. I always like to think a, a, a good little motto for life is: "If you say you do, if you say you do, it's a, it, it's 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 a common part of humanity of this of this fallen state, this fallen world in which we live. In the modern day and age, I think we've grown understandably." leery of the promises we see promises like when you answer the phone and they say i'm not trying to sell you anything yeah okay or this will only take a minute have you heard that one before only take a minute or uh looking at some of our medical fraternity this won't hurt a bit (laughs) or get ready for summer with the abtron 2000 or uh or perhaps over these last few weeks of course if I'm elected, I will. If you think I'm simply ragging on the poor old pollies or the salespeople, we as church need to admit that the church has often let people down as well, haven't we? The church has often failed to follow through on its promises. The church has often let people down, uh, often with tragic circumstances. So we're all in the same boat. We've all let people down. It just leaves us wondering, is there any such thing as truth at all? Truth today is a concept that is being undermined. You hear people say, well, I'm just living my truth, and you can live your truth, right? Please don't fall into that line of thinking. There is no your truth and my truth. There is simply God's truth and a whole heap of opinions. They say the first casualty of war is the truth. And I think we all stop believing what the Kremlin said many generations ago, But even in our news from the Ukrainian uh, authorities, we have all sorts of false propaganda being pumped out. Did you hear the one about the Snake Island guys who told that Russian warship where to get off before being blown to oblivion? It it never happened. Or the ghost of Kiev, that fighter pilot that shot down all those Russians. Did you hear about that guy? never happened. False propaganda and reputable news sources continue to report these stories. Reputable and news sources these days seem to be contradictory terms, don't they? And over the last two years, of course, throughout the COVID dilemma, unless you were saying something that fit the, authori- the narrative, fit the prescribed opinions, you'd find yourself downranked and uh, shadow banned, if not outright banned and, and mocked and scorned. So it does leave us, I think, as a Western society, tragically, Grasping for truth, wondering, is there any truth left? I heard the wonderful Christian author by the name of Oz Guinness. If you've read any of Oz Guinness's work, he's a wonderful Christian thinker. And he said, Western society is like a cut flower in that it is slowly dying because we've come adrift of our Christian heritage. We're living off the vapors, off the fumes, we're living off the capital of our Christian heritage. The fact that we are, for the most part, here in Australia, able to trust one another in business, to, to people to follow through on their promises in, in society, to, to follow the role, road rules. That doesn't just happen. It, it comes as a result of the Western world's foundation in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. But we've turned our back on God, turned our back on the gospel. And as a result, we're like a, a cut flower. We might look impressive for the time being but the sad reality is we are slowly but surely dying and you see those signs all around society today. I remember I started to lose trust in humanity sadly back in high school. Do you remember year 12 muck up day? I'm of the generation when the year 12 muck up days were still a thing. They don't seem to be around as much. They really clamped down but One year at Goulston High School, I'm a Goulston High School boy, and each year it seemed to be the media would pick on some poor high school where the kids run amok. And this year it happened to be Goulston High School's turn. There were media out the front of my high school when I turned up. And I'll never forget this. I lost my inner. There was actually an ABC crew, and they were going around the park opposite my school finding beer cans that had been there for months and years, putting them all together in one spot and filming my, church, filming my school in the background with the big beer, beer cans in the front. It was fake news way back in 1989. How about that? We've been conditioned to disbelieve, sadly. are wondering, is there anyone trustworthy? Is there any such thing as truth at all? When we do find truth, our spirits soar. Don't we? When we find something, someone that we can depend upon, we're able to take a risk, to step out in faith once more and, and to truly live. Well, the good news I have for you this morning, church, is that there is one upon whom we can depend. There is one upon whom we can base our life, knowing that he will never let us down. He will never say yes and no, that his promises are always yes and amen. Here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling us that all of God's promises, all of his promises are yes in. Jesus Christ. Like I said, he's he's having to write to them to defend himself. You'll see there in verses uh, 15 and, and 16, he'd wanted to visit them twice, but he had to change his mind because of the people that were opposing him. He doesn't spend a lot of time defending himself. And here's our first little takeaway, first little aside. He's not so worried about his own reputation at this point. He points them straight back to Christ very, very quickly. He says, look, we weren't fickle or worldly, he says, um, but he points them straight back to Jesus Christ. He says, my message is dependable. The message that I preached to you, the good news of Jesus Christ, can be relied upon because my God can be relied upon. He says, my heart is not divided because God's love for you is not divided. They were wondering, well, maybe he loves some other church more than us. And he's saying, no, that's, that's not the case. He's wanting to affirm that, that all of God's promises, that the message that he proclaimed, and that is that the gospel or the, or the good news of Jesus Christ, gospel simply means our good news. He says in verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our message to you has not been yes and no. He so says we're not fickle or worldly in verse 17. He goes on to say that it's dependable. Why? Because in verse 19 and 20, if you've got it open uh, in front of you, he he says that his unreserved yes to them flows out of God's unreserved, final, decisive, emphatic yes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's saying, my heart is not divided because God's heart for you is not divided. He uh, he, he says that Jesus is the ultimate truth. He is the only truth uh, that matters. Jesus is the promised one, the one that the people have told from the old, what we call the Old Testament. The old Jewish tribes looked forward to and and waited for. He is the the promised one. He he is the anointed one. Jesus is God's great yes to the world. I read a story uh, this week of a pastor, a minister who visited a an elderly gentleman who was who was bedridden. He 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 couldn't get up, but he had his Bible open in front of him. And the minister noted that down in the in, in the margins of, a, of his Bible, I love to see a Bible that's written in and highlighted and maybe even torn and patched up, because it means it's been well read. This is one of those Bibles, and it had down the margins proved, proved, proved. And the minister asked the gentleman, what's all that about? And he said, well, I can't do very much, but, but I can look back over my life and read God's promises in his word to us. And he had written, proved, as a result of what he had personally experienced in his life. Wouldn't that be a good thing for us to do when you're reading your Bible? Look back over your life and say, God has been faithful. He has kept his promise here. God keeps his promises. He fulfills them. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll read they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I also want you to see a connection here in verse 20. If you've got it open in front of you, verse 20 is an important little connecting verse. Paul goes on to say that all of God's promises are yes in Christ. In Jesus Christ, he's God's great yes. But he says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God of God. God says yes to us in Christ and we respond with amen. We respond with amen. Amen is is a Hebrew word and it's been transliterated into, into Greek and then uh, into Latin and into English and into many other languages as well. Did you know that it's been said that amen is probably the best known word in all of humanity, across all of the languages. Amen is amen in English. It's amen in Latin, in Hebrew. It is is a word that is known around the world. And it means a very strong affirmation. Sometimes we think amen just simply means, oh, well, my prayer is finished now. That's not what that word means. It doesn't just mean I've just prayed that prayer or I'm finished, Lord. It it actually is like an exclamation point on your prayers. It means I affirm what has just been said, or what has just been said is true. It's almost identical to the Hebrew word for believe or for faithful. So it's an expression of absolute trust and confidence. So don't just sort of let your amens roll off your tongue at the end of prayers unless you agree with what the person at the front has been praying. It's an important word. It's an emphatic statement at the end of a prayer that says, yes, what that person has said is true. I believe it and I want to own it for myself. And have a look there. Why do we say uh, amen? We say it in Christ. You'll notice a lot of preachers, we we say our prayers in Jesus' name. Uh, we We, as followers of Jesus, name things in Christ. We name all of these things in Jesus' name. His name carries weight and authority. Uh, and, and why? Uh, to what end at the end of verse 20 there? It is for the glory of God. Amen. For the glory of who? For, for the glory of God. It's not for our own glory. That is a radical concept in these self-absorbed times. We don't say our prayers simply to get things for ourselves. We, we pray that God's kingdom might come here on earth, that His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven for His glory. We speak, we pray, we live for God's glory, not for our own. This is a radical concept, to be able to get up in the morning and to say, Lord, I'm not living for my glory. I read a wonderful post from a wonderful maid of mine just on Facebook. It can be a good tool from time to time. And it was of a minister, a retired minister, looking back over his career. And he said from the moment he was ordained, he was caught up in this world of Bringing glory to his church, his patch, his congregation, his own ministry. It's a real danger, even for ministers, people who get to get up here and pontificate. It's a real danger. It's a danger for all of us that we're not living for our own glory, um, but for God. So, that little phrase there at the end of verse 20, we, we do this for the glory of God. In verse 21, he affirms that it is God who makes us stand firm, uh, that he's given us his spirit, he has anointed us with his spirit. There are several flamboyant gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I reckon the most amazing, the most impressive is that the Holy Spirit enables us to stand firm for Christ. My heroes, my superheroes are those men and women of the faith that have lived a lifetime following Jesus through thick and thin, and have not been drawn to the left or to the right. He enables us to stand firm. He even declares that we have been anointed, that we have been anointed. Now, this word anointed carries a lot of weight as well, friend. Did you know that if you are in Christ, you've been anointed? Kings would be anointed with oil, or prophets, or or, uh, or, or priests, they'd be anointed with oil. It, It was a special way of symbolizing they had a special role to play a special part to play. They were, they were set apart for a particular role. What Paul is saying here is that all of us, if we are in Christ, we have been anointed. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says we are a royal priesthood. If you think that you don't have a particularly important part to play in God's church, think again. You are needed. You are part of a royal Priesthood. If you are in Christ, you are part of this special royal priesthood to the world. The priests represented God's to be. That's why this word priest is a as a Protestant minister. We don't call ourselves priests. We only have one high priest. That is Jesus Himself, who represents us to God. Uh, minister actually just means servant. Now each of us is a royal priesthood. You you are part of uh, the job of taking, presenting Christ to, our, to the world. You are an ambassador. You are anointed. You are a, a chosen. Oh, look at that. that. That is impressive. Thank you so much, Tina. 1, one Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. You are a royal priesthood. I wasn't even expecting that to go up there. We got, they do a great job up in our bio box. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, why not? Give me a round of applause. <laughs> well, I find my place again. Uh, in verse 22, he also tells us that he's placed his seal upon us. So God has placed his seal upon us, of course, in the old times. Not so long ago, if you had to write a letter, you couldn't send an email. You had to send a letter via a galloping horse. And, of course, they would, they would seal it with a wax seal and put their, their mark on it. It was a, a sign of authenticity, It guaranteed the contents of the letter. God is saying that He has placed His seal upon us and He's placed His spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It's like a down payment. A guarantee tells us that there is more to come. When you pay a deposit on your house, you've got more to pay. God is saying that He is investing in you. Isn't that good news, church? morning god has invested in you he's placed his deposit in you his holy spirit in you and it guarantees all that is yet to come god's kingdom is still yet to come in all of its fullness we live in the the in between times of the between the now and the and the not quite yet god has won the victory for us in christ but there is still more yet to come when he will put all crying all pain all suffering or death and to it all, that is what is yet to come. But for the time being, He's given us His Holy Spirit. It's just a deposit, it's a down payment of what we can expect when Christ comes again and puts all things to right. So God has kept His promise. He's put His put a seal upon us, given us His Holy Spirit to help us to stand firm. as a down payment, guaranteeing what is to come. But I want you to know, Church, that. Keeping your promise can often be be hard, and it can often be costly, can't it? I read this week uh, one of my favorite people from history is C.S. Lewis, a wonderful Christian. He tells of a a time when he suffered terribly as a result of having made a promise. He made a promise to a mate during World War I. C.S. Lewis fought in in the Great War, and he made a promise to the digger beside him and who was worried that if he was killed, his wife and his young daughter would not be cared for. And C.S. Lewis made him a promise that day that if anything were to happen to him, he would look after his family. Tragically, as the war progressed, that was indeed what happened. This man was indeed killed. And C.S. Lewis committed himself to caring for this man's family. The trouble was, his wife was a particularly ungrateful sort of a person. She became bitter. She was ungrateful and rude and arrogant and and domineering. But through it all, C.S. Lewis kept on forgiving her. He refused to let her actions become an excuse to renege on his promise. So too, God does the same for us. He refuses to let our actions, our hurtful words, stop him from following through on his promise to us. And it was costly because it cost his son his life, doesn't it, didn't it? We're just coming out of the Easter period, and we remember God's promise. He kept his promise to us in Jesus Christ. He broke into the world in the form of a son of a, a carpenter from a little hick town called Bethlehem who paid our price, who died in order that we might live. And having emerged from another Easter, we remember that it wasn't just Jesus' death that guarantees God's faithfulness and his trustworthiness. We also remember that he rose him from the dead as proof. I read this story of a renowned artist from the 1800s, a well known artist that was traveling through Europe, but he lost his passport. He came to a checkpoint and was trying to convince the border guard of who he was. Don't you know who I am? You know, but the guard said, we have many people here so who claim to be someone that they are not. But he was insistent, I, I am who I, who I say I am. And the guard said, well, all right, I'll give you a test. See those peasants standing over there in that square? I'll let you pass if you can draw for me a, a wonderful image of, these, of, this, of what you're seeing. So took out a pencil and a bit of paper and very quickly, very skillfully produced a, a wonderful little work of a representation of the exact scene. He did it so skillfully, so quickly that the border guard was convinced that he was indeed who he said he was. You see, his work confirmed his word. His work confirmed his word. So too it is with God. His work in raising Jesus from the dead, confirms his word to us. So, follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know this morning, in these difficult times, in these trying times, this new, brave new chapter, this brave new chapter of the world, this brave new chapter of church, where the ground seems to be shifting underneath us. I want you to know that in Christ, we can ask God, God, do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you you change me, Lord? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. Friends, all of God's promises are yes to us in Jesus Christ. So the application question that I want to put before you this morning is simply this. Are you responding with a heartfelt amen? to all of God's yes in Christ? Have you said amen to all of God's yes to you? Are there any of God's yeses to you that you're responding with not even necessarily a no? Uh, Given that you're here at church this morning or watching online, I suspect there's not many of us this morning that are just here going no to God. We're probably just maybe uh, responding with a not yet or when I get around to it, God, or when the kids are off my hands, or once I finish my studies, or, or once, I'm, once I'm an adult and get a job, or, or, or once I'm retired, I'll be able to get to that, Lord. It might not be an outright no, but maybe just a, a maybe, a perhaps, or yes to this, but no to that, Lord, or, or not yet. Can I encourage you to give an emphatic amen, that emphatic exclamation point that we declare at the end of our prayers that says, yes, I believe it, and it is true. Commit yourself to a holy dissatisfaction with the way this broken world is until Christ comes again and fulfills, completes his reign in this world. So on this Mother's Day, I thought I might just share with you a few of just a handful There's about 1,260 promises in Scripture. I don't have time to run through all of them with you now. I've chosen just a few, some of my favorites. I'm sure you would have some more. Email them to me. Text me to to me this week. I would love a bit of encouragement. If there's a promise that is a favorite of yours that I haven't got up here, let me know what it is. I'd love to hear from you. Nahum back in one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. I hope you can be encouraged by some of these words. Back in Isaiah chapter 43, it says, When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. What good news this morning. One of my favorite verses of scripture. I reckon I'm not alone. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like? They will run and not? They will walk and not be faint. What a wonderful promise. Commit that to memory. Uh, Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isn't that good news? He'll be traveling with us. Psalm 34, the psalmist says, Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What a wonderful promise. Jeremiah, for I know the plan to have you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that good news? The New Testament, Philippians chapter four says, "Do not be anxious about anything." This is another verse I know many of you committed to memory. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. In fact, this was our memory verse from Kick just a couple of weeks ago. Two thousand, one and a half thousand young people memorized this Bible verse: "Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God." And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Good news. Psalm 23, the famous Psalm 23. If you don't know this psalm, you need to commit it to memory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your sword and your staff, they comfort me. You may prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Uh, For the, where is this from? This is Psalm, oh, the eyesight of the old fellow struggling. Psalm 84. Uh, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Good news. Uh, This is Jesus speaking now. Jesus himself says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus in John chapter 11 uh, told the woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after they, even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Good news. And Matthew chapter 7, if your child asks you for bread, would any of you give him a stone? If your child asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? What a wonderful promise. Back in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. I can recite this without even looking at the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Matthew 6, Jesus speaking again. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, where is this from? This is John chapter 14, or the famous John chapter 14. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. I've preached on this many a time at many a funeral. Listen to this. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, or many mansions, depending on your translation. If it were not so, I would have told you but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Isn't that good news? And in fact, my favorite Bible verse of all, what's yours? My favorite Bible verse is John 10.10. The thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I can that they might have life and have it abundantly. Praise God. Praise God. Friends, make sure you're saying yes to all of these promises, saying amen to all of these promises this week. I want to leave you with a Mother's Day anecdote, a little Mother's Day story that I think applies to each of us. A young man was condemned by jury to the death sentence. He was hated by everyone. He hated everyone, even his own mother. He'd become bitter and hard of heart. His mother came before the judge and pleaded to him for the life of, his, of her son. But the judge could do nothing. His hands were tied. He said to the woman, why don't you just leave him be? Leave him alone? There's nothing you can do. He doesn't even love you. I know, said the mother, but I love him. That's how God loves us, with the love of a mother, unconditional." He will stick with us no matter what, no matter how far we flee, no matter what we do, no matter how much our hearts may become hardened. He's dying to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be uh, your best friend. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your saviour. Friend, won't you add your amen to God's yes in Christ to you this day? Let's pray. Yes, loving Lord, ours is a world with so many different competing claims to truth. It can be difficult to know who to believe, Lord. So we pray this morning that you might help us see through all the noise. Help us to cut through all of the background guff that comes at us through our screens, comes to us in what we read, in the papers, Lord, whatever it is. Help us to see through it all, to see your truth, to see that all of your promises are yes in Christ. Help us to lay claim to those promises, to own them for ourselves and to respond, Amen. Put an exclamation mark on all of your promises and say, yes, I want to own this for myself, Lord. Yes, I believe it. What has been said there is true and I affirm it, Father. Thank you that your love for us is like the love of a faithful mother who never gives up on her child. Help us to yield our lives, to surrender our lives this day, and thereby to live in Christ with you, a a life abundant, life in all of its fullness, in this life and the next. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.